morning we're getting back into Galatians, the series that we began back in September. We took a break for Advent, but now we're back, and I had to go back through the first three chapters of the letter myself for a bit of a refresher to to get my bearings again, to to see where was it that we were and, and what was going on in this letter that Paul wrote to these churches in the region of Galatia. And so I saw again where Paul had to establish his authority as an apostle. He had to establish the truthfulness and the uniqueness of the gospel that he preached, this this law-free gospel. I even looked back through some of the sermons and saw again this, this gospel law of addition that I talked about some, where if you add something to the gospel, you're actually taking away from it. It's really subtraction and not addition. That, that Jesus plus anything leaves us with, with nothing. And I looked again at the big problem in Galatia, the reason for Paul writing this letter in the first place, how this group of Jewish Christians, the, the, the Judaizers, so they've been called, wanted Gentiles who were placing their faith in Christ to also take up the law of Moses, especially the ceremonial law and especially its poster child, circumcision, in order for them to have a full standing in the church, in order for them to move to the, from the B team to the varsity team. And we saw over and over how Paul had to oppose this because he knew that justification, he knew that having a right standing before God only came through faith in Christ and not by works of the law. One of the last things that we saw before we took our Advent break was Paul appealing to Abraham as an example of justification by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And this week, as we get back into chapter 3, we're going to see Father Abraham again used as, as an example. And it's not so much what Abraham does that's the example But it's what happens to Abraham that will be our guide. As we further explore the purpose of the law this morning, see, Paul's been pretty adamant about what the law doesn't do. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't keep you saved. And so the big question from today's passage is is logically the next question. Well, then what good is it? What does it do? What is the purpose of the law if it's not to save you or make you righteous or keep you saved? So I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able. This is a much shorter passage than what Steve read for us. Just be glad we didn't stand for that one. But this is God's Word, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant... No one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law... It no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? 
it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. May God add His blessing to the teaching, to the preaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. O oh, Father, indeed, Holy Spirit, be our help this morning. We need it. There, there are deep, important truths contained. There's some complexity here. Oh, there's some richness here. Lord, we won't begin to scratch the surface of all that is contained in these verses this morning. But of what we do look at, would you make it understandable? Would you cause it to make a deep impression on our hearts this morning where we see what you have done? Where we see what you alone have done? Where we see how we don't contribute to what you have done? And would we bask in the glorious gospel that that is? Would we, would we rejoice in all that you have promised to us, all that you have given to us, and will we rest in it? Will we rest in it? That's my prayer this morning. It's a prayer I know you will be glad to answer, and so we look forward to that answer. We expect that answer in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So Paul's been adamant again and again and again. It's the drum he keeps on beating. The law will not save you. The law will not make you righteous. Only faith can do that. So these two logical questions arise in this passage. One in verse 19. Why then the law? If it's not going to do those things, why do we have it in the first place? And the second question in verse 21. Is the law contrary to God's promise? Is the law contrary to grace? And so as we work our way through this passage, I think that we'll get a good understanding of what the purpose of the law really is. Number one, the purpose of the law is not to change the unchangeable. Some folks must have thought and count these Judaizers among them that Moses trumps Abraham. That when the law was introduced by Moses, it somehow superseded what came before it. And to that, Paul responds and says, not so fast. Not so fast. Verse 15 and 17 he says, to give a human example, brothers, even a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. And then in 17, he says it a different way, right? The law which came after 
does not annul a covenant that came previous to it. And so he's talking here, uh, uh, the ESV says a man-made covenant. Some of your translations might say human covenant. Some of them might even say will or give you a little footnote that's hard to read because it's so small that says will or testament. And that's really what we're dealing with here is a last will and testament. That's the sort of the legal idea that Paul is appealing to of how your affairs will be settled and your property distributed after your passing. And Paul says in verse 15, no one annuls that once it's been ratified, right? Once a will has been probated, that's it. You don't come back years later and say, oh, wait a minute, I really wanted that China after all. You don't do that. That ship has sailed. And that's part of what Paul is calling out here. The unchangeable nature of the agreement. Even if it's a human agreement, that, that's the case. But this is not just a human agreement, is it? It's a divine agreement. Verse 17 says that this is a covenant previously ratified by God. Now what's in view here? He mentions Abraham. And he talks about a covenant ratified by by God. I think clearly what Paul is thinking about here is Genesis 15, and I want you to turn there. I want you to turn there in your Bibles. So God's made extraordinary promises to Abraham. Descendants, land, a nation, blessing for the entire world through you. Astounding promises, and amazingly enough, Scripture says Abraham believed God. Abraham believed, and God counted that belief, that faith, as righteousness. Righteousness not by works of the law, but by faith. All right, so that, that's happening in, in Genesis 12 through the beginning of 15. And then if we look at 15, verse 8, and I'm so very glad this is here, because this reminds me of last week and, and dealing with Mary. Okay? Verse 8, um, how, how am I to know? <laughs> These promises are, are great and all, and I, I, I believe them, but how am I to know? See, this is like Mary last week saying, how can this be? <laughs> how can this be? Abraham can't quite connect the dots. It seems a little unlikely, all this that you've promised, Lord. How can I know? And so now look at the beginning of verse 9. God says to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. Now this is interesting. Okay. This is interesting. God says, bring all these things, but he doesn't give any instruction beyond that. But Abraham springs into, act, into action. He knows exactly what to do. Why? Because this is how covenants were made back then. This is how agreements were sealed back then. You didn't just sign a whole bunch of papers with a bunch of legal gobbledygook. You took a bunch of animals and you cut them in half. 
Your agreement was sealed in blood. So pick up in verse 11. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain. All right, so this is how Abram's going to know. He says, How can I know? God says, Here's how you're going to know. And so God goes into great detail about the years ahead and what they will bring. And Steve read from Acts 7, very many of those same things. Helpful to, to have these things included because these are things that God's mentioning that for a time will actually make it seem much less likely that these promises are going to be fulfilled. But God wants him to know, so he tells him ahead of time. Now pick up in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Now, what is going on here? So, cut all the animals in half. You put half the animal over here, half the animal over here. You make an aisle way, a walkway between them. And then the parties to the covenant walk between the pieces of the cut-up animals. As if to say, if I don't hold up my end of this agreement, let me be like these animals here. Let me be torn apart. It's pretty graphic. I guess signing a bunch of papers isn't so bad after all. Abram cuts the animals, he lays them out. But then... A deep, dark sleep comes. And he's not walking through the pieces. God is. That's who this this fire pot, this flaming torch represent. God is making this agreement. He's the one who's saying, let me be torn apart if I don't uphold this agreement. If I don't make good on this promise, this, Abraham, this is how you'll know. I've walked through the pieces. I'm putting my life on the line, and boy, would he, to see this thing through. What is Abraham's part in this? Is he walking through? In between these pieces, is he also putting his life on the line? No, he is not. He's in a deep, dark slumber, purposefully brought on by God so that he can have no part in this. He can claim no part in this agreement, in this arrangement. It is wholly and completely God alone. A covenant promised by him and ratified by him. This cannot be changed. So this takes us back to verse 15 of Galatians 3. And this is also what verse 17 is getting at. The law comes long after the promise made to Abraham, ratified by God. 
So the law comes, and are God's people supposed to say, oh, wait a minute, this changes everything. There's a new way to relate to God now that the law is here. God's changed his mind. He's given us something new and different. And I need to hit pause for just a second. This is something that makes us different as a church. Right? As Presbyterians, as, as Reformed Christians, we believe in what's known as covenant theology. Right? Now, now, if your eyes just glazed over and you're like, what in the world? Don't, don't worry about that. This is what's important. We believe that Scripture reveals one continuous story start to finish. Of God calling a people to himself and redeeming those folks ultimately through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That Genesis to Revelation, that's the one story that's being unfolded for us. As opposed to looking at Scripture, right? If, if, you don't, if you're not in a Reformed or Presbyterian church or, or subscribing to covenant theology, again, don't glaze over at those. But there are a lot of folks who look at Scripture and it just seems rather disjointed. It seems like a bunch of different stories lumped together of, well, God was trying this one thing here relating to his people this way, and that didn't work out so well. So, so then he tried this other thing, and, well, that bombed out too. So, that, no. God's got one plan. Promised in the garden back in Genesis 3, culminating back in a garden at the end of Revelation. One plan, one story. So when he gives the law to Moses, recorded in Exodus 20, it doesn't change anything about his promise that he's previously made to Abraham, recorded in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 and lots of other places. It doesn't change anything about the former promise, because if it did change anything, it would make the promise void. That's what our passage says today. This is strictly an either-or proposition. It's not both and. You see that in in verse 18, uh, the inheritance that's being spoken of. So in a very literal sense, in in an initial sense, it's land and descendants and a nation. But it is obviously so much more than that. We're talking about a a true and eternal spiritual inheritance of eternal life and of right standing with God. This inheritance, in verse 18, either comes from God's self-guaranteed promise or it comes from obedience to the law. It cannot come from both. And verse 18 is clear as to how it came. God gave it to Abraham. It is either free or it is not free. It can't be free and not free at the same time. All right, am I the only one being plagued by these robocalls on my phone? It's not just me. Okay, good. 
multiple times a day from a number that looks like a cell phone number in the area. And this chirpy little female voice usually is on the other end. Hi. And 50% or more of them are about a free security system. You've been chosen. You've been selected. It's your lucky day for a free security system. Now, I am sure that if I ever listened to one of those calls completely or pressed two or whatever they tell you to do, that that free security system is going to end up with an asterisk next to it. And it's going to say, it's a free security system as long as you pay $39.95 monthly monitoring to maintain your free security system. And folks, that's not what the law is. The law is not an asterisk. The law is not an addendum to the promise. The law is not how you keep the promise up and running. The coming of the law in no way changes God's promise. If it did change it, it would invalidate it. So, the purpose of the law is not to change what cannot be changed. Number two, the purpose of the law is not to reveal holiness, but transgression. Let me make this statement. I think I put it on a slide because I want you to get it. The law was not given to make men better. It was given to make us worse. Get your mind wrapped around that. That's important. The law was not given to make us better. It was given to make us worse. Verse 19, the first of our two obvious logical questions. um, Why then the law? Paul says it's not for the reason that you think. Because the default of the human heart is to see a set of rules... And to say, oh, well, let me show you what I can do. I got this. Made me think back to Joshua 24. Long time ago, I know. Um, But when we were in Joshua, closing chapter, covenant renewal ceremony, and this famous charge from Joshua to the people, choose you this day whom you will serve. And the people people are like, all right, we'll choose. We'll we'll choose the Lord. We are going to serve the Lord. That's who we choose. And then Joshua has to burst their bubble and rain on their parade. And the very next words out of his mouth, you can't do it. Choose you this day who you're going to serve. And they do. You can't do it. But see, that's the default of our hearts. A bunch of rules and we say, oh, we got this. Easy. Come on. And that's what Paul's doing here. The law was given... Because of transgressions. See, we we naturally assume that the law was given so that we can show God how good we can be. When it was actually given so that God could show us how bad we really are. How desperately we need a Savior. How badly we need rescue. Transgression is an interesting word here. More often we just see sins. But here Paul says transgressions. 
which says a bit more, uh, a a bit more about our violation against a holy and righteous God, a a bit more about our rebellion against Him. See, See, the law comes and it gives us some specificity in writing, some cold hard facts that really define what we've done that show us specifically how we have failed. Uh, Luther gets to the heart of it, I think, really, really well. I've got a quote uh, uh, from him. There it is. Uh, The true function and the chief and proper use of the law is to reveal to man his sin, blindness, misery, wickedness, ignorance, hate, and contempt of God, death. Hell, judgment, and the well-deserved wrath of God. See, the law wasn't given to make us better. And verse 22 in our passage today also hints at what's going on here. It says, the Scripture imprisoned everything under the law. That's a great picture. All right, so let's mention the third point briefly before we bring it home and tie everything together and start talking about what it is not, and we'll talk positively about what it is. Uh, So the third point, the purpose of the law is temporary, right? It's not lasting. Uh, Verse 19 said that the law was added because of transgressions until the offspring comes. And so verse 16, we saw already, makes a big deal about the promise being made to Abraham and his singular offspring, right? That there was one particular individual descendant that uh, God had in mind here. And, And verse 16 explicitly states that that one particular descendant is Jesus. So the purpose of the law is temporary. It's going to function until Jesus comes. The law's purpose is essentially going to get us from Mount Sinai over to Mount Calvary. That's that's the purpose of the law. It's to help us make that journey from Sinai to Calvary. And then its function, then its purpose in that regard is done. See, when the law was given... It was given with a bunch of ceremonies and sacrifices and curses. Because it was given with the assumption that it couldn't be kept. The law was given and accompanied by all these things because God knew. And so in God's grace, he gave with the law the temporary remedies for not keeping the law. But once Abraham's offspring comes, once Jesus comes and perfectly fulfills the law and shows us that all these ceremonies and sacrifices were just foreshadowing what he was going to do once and for all, finally and completely in paying for our sins, then that function of the law is over. And it wouldn't make any sense to try to return to it But that's exactly what the Judaizers want these Galatian Christians to do. You need to be circumcised, which was just supposed to represent a heart change that only the Holy Spirit could do when Jesus came anyway. But 
the Judaizers were trying to get the Galatians to guarantee their salvation with the law when God only ever intended for our salvation to be guaranteed by His promise. And so this leads to our fourth and final point. The second logical question that is raised in verse 21. It would seem then that that law and promise contradict one another. That they're at odds with each other. But that's not the case. The law doesn't contradict God's grace. It complements it. Let me show you how. Right? The two could not be any more different, right? So, so law is thou shall, thou shall, thou shall. But the promise, God's grace is, I will, I will, I will. They would only be contradictory if they both worked. If they were both effective. Verse 21, right? If the law could give life. If the law could give life, well, then you'd have competing religions. You'd have one group over here getting their life, their righteousness by working for it. And you'd have another group over here getting their life and righteousness by believing for it. Right? Two opposing groups, then yes, it would be contradictory. But the law doesn't work. The law doesn't give life. The law doesn't secure anything. It imprisons. It reveals transgression. So its, its purpose isn't contradictory to grace. It's complementary. It prepares us to receive the promise. It shows us how bad we are so that we'll see what's truly offered in the promise. We'll see what's truly offered in the gospel of grace. We'll see on the one hand the vile stench of our transgression and we'll fling ourselves at Jesus' feet, crying out for mercy. See, the law is vitally necessary for us to see how badly we need a Savior or else we wouldn't know. The law is the the on-ramp to the gospel of grace highway. We, We wouldn't know what the promise was about. We wouldn't know what grace offered if we didn't see our need so clearly. The law shows me what a miserable offender I am so that I'm desperate for a beautiful Savior who paid with His blood for every one of my transgressions that's been revealed. Who gives to me as a gift all the righteousness that He earned. See, God walked between the pieces on that dark and dreary night some 2,000 years before Jesus came. And then He Himself was ripped apart much like those animals, for you and for me. And we wouldn't see our need for that were it not for the law. So we shouldn't come away despising the law. Neither should we come away trying to get the law to do something for us that God never intended. Let's pray.
Father, there's so much here. So much I didn't even touch or mention. It's rich, rich, rich. But Father, what is clear is a reminder that You guaranteed the promise. That You continue to guarantee the promise. And that the law that you gave to Moses in no way changes the promise that you made to Abraham and indeed the promise that you made to us. Father, through your grace, through the working of your Holy Spirit, would you sink down deep in our hearts this single, solitary action that you took while Abram was in a deep slumber? How you guaranteed the promise. How you guarantee our salvation because of who you are, not because of what we would ever try to do for you. Help us to rest in grace. Help us to to see through the law how badly we need that promise, how badly we need your grace. Help us to see against the dark, dreary backdrop of the law how gloriously and wondrously your gospel of grace shines. Make it real to our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. I ask you to stand and let's sing in preparation for coming to the